It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of the murders of two children. The man was muddy and bloody. That's the vivid image pulled from a witness sighting described in the probable cause affidavit for the arrest of Richard Allen, the suspect who's been charged with the murders of Delphi teenagers Liberty German and Abigail Williams. The witness sighting is laid out on the PCA's fourth page in the second paragraph. Investigators spoke with Redacted, who stated that she was traveling east on 300 North on February 13, 2022, and observed a male subject walking west on the north side of 300 North, away from the Monon High Bridge. She advised that the male subject was wearing a blue-colored jacket and blue jeans and was muddy and bloody. She further stated that it appeared he had gotten into a fight. 
investigators were able to determine from watching the video from the Hoosier Harvest Store that she was traveling on County Road 300 North at approximately 3.57 p.m. That portion of the PCA has understandably attracted a lot of attention from people who follow the Delphi case. You hear a lot of talk about the muddy, bloody witness sighting. That's no surprise. It's an almost lyrical phrase, as well as a terrifying and evocative detail. A disheveled man clambering around the side of the road, splattered with blood and mud? Chilling. The story has also led to plenty of questions. Who is the redacted witness? The only details we have about her boil down to her location on the day of the murders and the female pronoun she. How fast was her vehicle going? Was she driving or riding as a passenger? How could she tell mud from blood? Does she remember what the man looked like beyond his clothes? Did the person she saw closely resemble Alan or any of the names that have come up in the case so far? And that also prompts us all to ask questions of ourselves. What sort of details would you catch if you saw something frightening at the edge of the road? What would you do if you saw something shocking like that? Well, we now know a bit more about this witness sighting, to the point where we can answer a few of those questions. The murder sheet can exclusively confirm that the muddy bloody witness was a source for the sketch first released in the case back in 2017. That is to say, the sketch that appears to show an older man the sketch that some observers feel more closely resembles Richard Allen. My name is Anya Kane. I'm a journalist. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. I'm an attorney. We first connected while looking into the Burger Chef murders, an Indiana cold case. Together, we built a spreadsheet documenting hundreds of cases of restaurant-related homicides. That original spreadsheet gave way to our podcast, The Murder Sheet. Now we maintain that same research-centric, investigative approach as we look into all sorts of homicides, including unsolved cases, historical crimes, and, of course, restaurant murders. We don't just chat about the headlines. Our podcast is a platform for our journalism. The Murder Sheet focuses on investigative reporting, thoughtful analysis, thorough research, and in-depth interviews. We're the Murder Sheet. And this is The Delphi Murders, Muddy and Bloody. This episode is going to include some recapping of some reporting we did earlier on the sketches. If you want a more comprehensive but slightly dated version of that, we'll link to the episode in our show notes. But we feel that some of this reporting is helpful to have in order to follow along with how the thinking around these sketches has evolved over time. 
You see, the sketches have been a key, and often confusing, aspect of the Delphi case from early on. To recount all the important details about the sketches, we have to go back a few months after Abby and Libby were murdered. The first sketch that was released in the case was unveiled on July 17th, 2017. Sergeant Kim Riley of the Indiana State Police, who has since retired, referred to it at the time as a composite. That has led some people to assume that the information that led to the creation of the sketch came from multiple sources. That may not be true. How exactly does one define a composite sketch? We thought we knew the answer, but delving deeper into the topic surprised us. Let's look at standards and guidelines for forensic art and facial identification, which is a 2010 publication approved by the Forensic Art Subcommittee of the International Association for Identification. In the guidebook's introduction, we noticed a curious sentence. Where one or more witnesses are available to provide descriptions of an unidentified subject, a forensic-slash-composite artist should be able to advise the investigating officer of the forensic art applications that would best contribute to the case. One or more eyewitnesses. We both assumed, without really thinking about it, the composite sketches were always the result of more than one eyewitness, just based on the name. But composite sketches can certainly come from a single eyewitness. So it's possible that the witness who saw the muddy and bloody man is the sole source for that sketch, although we do not have enough information to confirm that. We're just putting it out there as a possibility, and to identify a gap in the information that we have. Let's go back and see exactly what Riley said at the time in hopes that it might clarify things a bit. An Associated Press article from July 18, 2017, quoted Riley as saying that the sketch is an artist's composite of the information. Well, that doesn't exactly clear things up. Well, in any case, then Carroll County Sheriff Tobe Lesenby was quoted in the press at the time in ways that suggested there was only a single source for this sketch. On July 18, 2017, for instance, the Journal and Courier reported that Carroll County Sheriff Tobe Lesenby said that an FBI sketch artist had drawn up the portrait based on, quote, recent information from a witness. Lesenby said that this witness indicated they saw the suspect around the time of the murders. In the AP article, Sergeant Riley indicated a reason why the witness may not have come forward with the information sooner. People are scared. They're scared to be recognized by the subject. It just takes a while for these things to happen. In the Palladium item from that same date, Lesenby said that the image, quote, relates to a dialogue between a witness and a sketch artist. That's based upon an actual, real situation. That same day, a story from the AP came out in which Lesenby was quoted as saying that the witness saw a man walking near Delphi. He declined to comment on where this sighting took place, but said it took place around the time of the murders. One thing that is often overlooked is that even early on, law enforcement conceded that the sketch might not be entirely accurate. According to Lesenby, the hat in the sketch was a guess on the part of the witness and the artist, and that the way it appeared in the sketch might not be perfectly accurate. One thing that it's important to note is that sketch artists themselves often stress that these composite sketches are an artistic rendering of a witness's memory. They're not a snapshot, and there's room for some inaccuracies there. 
And in this case in particular, things would only get even more confusing. Let's go back to that AP story from July 18, 2017. Riley said the witness who saw the suspect was close enough to him to say he did not have blue eyes, but was uncertain of his eye color. So the witness was close enough to be able to tell that the man did not have blue eyes, but was not close enough to get a good look at the man's hat? The fact that this witness also seemed to be in a car also prompts some obvious questions about this sighting. That being said, the fact that guesswork is so integral to the creation of composite sketches does allow for a certain amount of inaccuracy and uncertainty. Sometimes the witness and the sketch artist just have to do their best with a split-second sighting and a limited memory. As we mentioned before, that first sketch was released on July 17, 2017. The image shows a white man with a slightly upturned nose, some facial hair, and dark eyes of an undetermined color. He looked to be anywhere from his 40s to his 50s. So, after the sketch was released, all of us who care about the Delphi case knew to keep an eye out for an older man. You all know what happened next. On April 22, 2019, ISP held another press conference. This is the one where they announced they were going in a new direction. And they released a new sketch. You've seen this one too. It shows a man who looked quite different from the subject of the first sketch. This new image depicted a clean-shaven, baby-faced man with a clean-shaven face and a head full of wavy hair. At this press conference back in 2019... Superintendent Doug Carter indicated that this sketch of the younger man should now be considered the primary sketch. On the same occasion, he announced that the sketch of the older man would now be considered secondary. Now, it was not entirely clear to most people what exactly all of that meant. So, a few days later, on April 24, 2019, authorities issued a press release in an attempt to clarify matters. It's a short release, so we are literally just going to read what it said so you can get the full picture. Delphi, Indiana. In the early days and months of the Delphi murder investigation, information was developed about suspect descriptions. It was initially believed the sketch that has been in public view over the last two years of a person in the age range of his 40s to 50s was a person of interest in this murder investigation. Now, as the investigation has matured and past information has been reassessed, it is the belief of investigators with the multi-agency task force that the person depicted in the sketch released on April 22nd more accurately represents the person wanted for the murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German. It is important to distinguish these points about the two sketches. They are not the same person. The person depicted in the originally released sketch is not presently a person of interest in this investigation. The sketch released on April 22nd is representative of the face of the person captured in the video on Liberty German's cell phone as he was walking on the high bridge. The person in the sketch released on April 22nd is described as having a youthful appearance, but could fall in the age range from his 20s to late 30s. This person's appearance could look different today if he has grown a mustache, beard, or let his hair grow longer, or cut his hair shorter than depicted in the sketch. Members of the Delphi community should reflect back on people they know in the community that look similar to the sketch released on April 22nd, 
especially if that person has changed their appearance since the murders occurred in February of 2017. That all seems crystal clear. The two sketches are not the same person. The man in the first sketch, the person we now know to be the so-called muddy and bloody man, is not a person of interest. We could all move on from that sketch to the sketch of the younger man, correct? At first, it seemed like that is exactly what would happen. There was, of course, discussion about all of this in outside media. On the 122nd episode of his podcast, Best Case, Worst Case, which aired April 26, 2019, former FBI agent Jim Clemente went so far as to assert that the man in the first sketch was already identified, arrested, and cleared. We figured it might be relevant to drop that claim in our timeline, given that he probably has decent sources among his former colleagues at the Bureau. And at least some family members seemed to get basically the same information Clemente had received. In an interview with true crime YouTuber Jason Herbert on September 30th, 2020, Abby's mom, Anna Williams, said, The basic answer that we have is what we were told when we were brought in to see the second sketch. Is, we've run this first sketch. We feel like we know who this person might be, or we've cleared up this particular person, and now we're going to look at another person that other people also noticed might have been there that day, and now we'd like to talk to that person. If you take all of that at face value, it again seems obvious. The police figured out exactly who the man was who was seen walking down the road muddy and bloody. They no longer suspected him of the crime. I'm sure I speak for everyone when I say we would all love to know exactly who that man was that investigators felt was the muddy and bloody man in 2019. We'd love to know exactly how he managed to convince authorities of his innocence. If that's really what happened, of course. Because it seems as if things were not so clear as they may have initially seemed. That seems to happen a lot in this case. Because from here on out, things quickly devolved into utter confusion. On the one hand, we had some credible sources indicating that the subject of that first sketch was at best of secondary importance. But on the other hand... On November 18th, 2019... Sergeant Riley spoke with true crime YouTuber Jim Wagoner about the new sketch. We are not disregarding either sketch. We're looking more towards the second sketch that was put out on the 22nd of April in this year. We're not saying that the first sketch, there may be something there also. That's a step back from saying the man in this first sketch isn't a person of interest. In March 2020, ISP Superintendent Doug Carter made a rather odd comment on the true crime website Crime Lights. I also believe very strongly that the sketches we have, obviously, are not photographs. They are what a person remembers. And I believe that when an arrest is made, and I still think that will happen, that we'll be able to lay those two sketches over one another and remove them and find the face of the killer. That almost seems to bolster the idea that the two sketches could somehow depict the same person. At this point, of course, we were all still incredibly confused. It is totally unclear whether or not the sketches depict the same man from different perspectives or two totally different men. And we must, after all, keep in mind that law enforcement has said ever since the arrest of Allen that they suspect he did not act alone, that others may have been involved in this crime. We all hope to get more answers as the Richard Allen case works its way through the courts. 
In the meantime, it seems as if a great deal depends on what we make of the so-called muddy and bloody sighting. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Row Body Program. Here's how it works. Row gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Row Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's ro.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So how credible is this sighting? Well, the witness was in a vehicle. If the vehicle was moving at a high rate of speed, that is going to make the sighting more problematic. Some have raised questions about when exactly she came forward. Well, going by the press reports from 2017, it appears as if she came forward shortly before the release of the sketch. Others have asked, why didn't she stop, either to get a better look at the muddy, bloody man or to offer him some help? Well, it does sound like she drove on without stopping, and we frankly don't blame her, especially if she was a woman driving alone. We've all heard about cases of predators faking injuries or car trouble to lure drivers into an attack. And if the blood didn't look too bad and the man was walking, and did not appear to be in distress, some people might just have the inclination to mind their own business and not get involved. Obviously, if you're us, or if you're a listener obsessed with true crime, we'd all probably call it in. But we shouldn't assume that everyone would naturally make that call. We'd be very curious to know when police found the witness and how she went about coming forward. 
In the past, we've strenuously avoided relying too much on the sketches in our reporting. There just seemed to be such confusion around them, plus they're an artistic rendering of information given by a witness. A helpful investigative tool for sure, but certainly not as concrete as a picture. For years, frankly, they seem to function more as objects to aid in an internet guessing game about their crimes, and that just didn't seem that helpful. But given that we've at least partially confirmed the origins of the sketch released in 2017, it probably makes sense to compare it with the image of Alan. Some important caveats. We're specifically looking at four images of Alan. We'll link to those in our show notes so you can look along. Three are mugshots taken since his arrest in October 2022. One was a government-issued photo that Fox 59 obtained soon after Alan's arrest. It's not clear when that was taken. But suffice to say, we don't have a confirmed snapshot of his look in February 2017. We're sure there's images floating around out there that could qualify, but we don't have any of those verified. We picked those four images because we felt they gave a clear view of Alan's eyes. That's based on the eyewitness statement about the person that they saw not having blue eyes. Try as we might, we can't exactly nail down Alan's eye color. To us, they're ambiguous. In some lights, they appear almost blue or grayish. In others, they appear greenish, brown, maybe hazel. They're definitely not dark. They're light-colored eyes for sure, but the exact shade is elusive. In these three mugshots, Alan is sporting a mustache. White, tinged with brown, and a long, scraggly goatee that covers most of his chin. We've seen other photos of him floating around where his beard is trimmed shorter. For instance, the government-issued photo features a shorter beard, more akin to what you see in the sketch. There are also some big differences between Alan and the sketch. The sketch of the older man seems to have larger features that dominate the person's face. Alan's features seem to take up less room on his face. His eyes seem closer together than that of the sketch. His nose is close, but the sketches is slightly more upturned. The sketch also seems to depict a person with scragglier hair. That being said, a man can change his hairstyle and facial hair in five years. Those aren't huge differences in our opinion. Like the man in the sketch, Alan's got a squarish head. Alan also looks like a middle-aged man, just like the figure in the sketch. It's our view that the sketch is not an absolute dead ringer for Richard Allen, but it does certainly bear a certain resemblance. Of course, Allen hasn't gotten his day in court yet. It's not for us to condemn him or say that he's guilty. He's presumed innocent under the law until a jury of his peers convicts him. But if he is guilty, then the sketch is a decent approximation by an eyewitness who seemingly didn't get too close. If he's innocent, then it's just another element of confusion around the sketches. Let's go off script a little bit to talk more about our uh, thoughts and impressions. Uh, as we mentioned in the script, we've really often looked away from the sketches during this whole process because, as we said, it's just been a a circus, frankly. It's just been people posting different side-by-side images it's all been deeply unhelpful because sketches are supposed to be a, a helpful investigative tool, not an opportunity to play a parlor game and try to figure out, you know, who the person is based on a artist's rendering of a witness's memory. And the fact is, uh, I think anyone listening to this can recite many people 
named in the past as potential persons of interest who bear a certain resemblance to the sketches. And if so many people look like the sketches, it seems like the sketches have a certain limited utilitarian value. Yeah, they're kind of, you know, I mean, I don't want to say useless, but they certainly didn't narrow things down. And from our reporting and reporting done by other media outlets, it's not like somebody called in the tip based on the sketch, and that's what led to an arrest in this case. Uh, One thing that may or may not be relevant, but I want to stress, is that the two sketches that were released were prepared by artists from different agencies. The initial sketch that was released was prepared by the FBI, and the second sketch that was released of the younger man was prepared by Indiana State Police. And we refer to the sketches numerically based on the order in which they were released, not the order in which they were drawn. We don't know. We don't know the background of these sketches. But the first sketch refers to the one released in 2017 that depicts an older man. The second sketch is the younger man in 2019. And again, we say older and younger. I mean, these are these are drawings. They're not, you know, confer. You know, it, it's basically we're trying to just describe these as best we, we can. Um, The fact that now we have information that the first sketch, the older man sketch, was um, at least partially drawn from the witness who saw the bloody and muddy man is interesting because uh, now we're getting into, well, how, how well can you see a person's face when you're driving? And to be clear, there are so many unknowns about that that I'm reluctant to draw too many concrete conclusions. We can offer some of our own analysis, some conjecture possibly, but I, I feel like it's important to say that we don't know. I mean, if, if you're, if you happen to be driving very slowly for some reason, that's obviously going to make a big difference than if you're speeding, whether you're a passenger in the car or the driver is going to make a difference. Uh, your vision and how observant you are, are going to make differences. Uh, your ability to recognize faces or or features, um, how good a look you get. I mean, it's it's also determined by factors that we don't know about at this point. So I just want to throw that out there. And generally speaking, I would think that when you are in a car driving and you're seeing things outside the car, you would be most likely to notice and be most accurate about the larger details rather than the smaller details. In other words, I would think you would be most likely to be able to tell, oh, this is what the general build of the person was, and maybe less detailed to be able to provide a detailed description of that person's face. Right. But you can kind of see with that first sketch that, you know, it's like this you know, it kind of almost generic, scruffy, middle-aged white guy. Facial hair. The sketch itself is vague to me. It, it looks like an approximation of a person. That's what all sketches are, obviously, but it very much speaks to that. So I can kind of see that lining up with, like, I got an impression of what this guy looked like, but I didn't get, like, oh, he has a crooked nose or, you know, something specific. Um, We actually did a little experiment today a very unscientific experiment. So this is nowhere near conclusive, but uh, Kevin and I both kicked each other out of the car at various times um, on a road and then drove past each other 
at, you know, around the speed limit, which I believe is something like 45 miles an hour. Does that sound right? 50? I don't know. And just tried to kind of see what we observed about the person. And obviously this is not scientific and we know each other. We're married. So we're, we're probably better at filling in the details of each other's face more so than if you were seeing a stranger for the first time on the side of the road. But you went first. What was your impression? My impression was that it was difficult to see details of your face. Uh, you also, for what it's worth, wear eyeglasses, that the color of the eyeglasses change depending on what level of light you're exposed to. And so they were basically sunglasses. I couldn't see your eyes at all. I got a good idea of what you were wearing, what your coat was, what your build was. But that was about it. If it had become really important and police had been asking you, grilling you, like this person you saw committed a heinous crime most likely, uh, can you just give us an approximation? What would, like What kind of details would you have said about my face? I really couldn't even see much of your face. Your uh, glasses, as I say, were tinted. I, I could make out a general idea of your hair color, and I could tell that you were white. Okay. What so about you? Pretty vague. Um, I Your lenses don't – you don't have transitions lenses, so I was able to see that you were a middle-aged guy. I think I could have uh, approximately – I think your your hair is a bit distinctive, so I would have been able to describe that. I would have been able to say that you were wearing glasses, that you had a bit of a five o'clock shadow, and that you um, were certainly Caucasian in appearance and seemed to have, um, I think I could have described like your face shape, things like that. Once we start getting into things like eyes, nose, mouth, that would have been more of guesswork on my part. Again, and it's hard to say because I know you, so I know what you look like, but um, I, I, I tried to look at you like a stranger would. Like, what are the kind of general characteristics? I certainly think I would have been able to describe possibly, like, your gait and your body shape and, like, what you generally looked like, but facial features are a bit more specific and going at a, you know, decent rate of speed along a road while driving and, like, concentrating on the road would have made it difficult. But I will say, I think if you'd been splattered in mud or blood and there was any sort of like reddish tint to your face or anything like I think I would have noticed that because I, you know, I, I we, we did it so we did kind of turn around and then start driving back on the opposite side of the person. And I locked on to you early enough that I think if I'd kept my eyes on you and you were disheveled in that way. That would have become more in uh, that would have become more apparent to me as I drove further, and therefore more intriguing to me, and I would have looked closer. So I that part, I think I was a little bit like, how do you tell mud from blood in the beginning? But I could see that. But the level of features, the level of details, that eludes me. Uh, your hair was more neatly coiffed. And because of that, and because of the way the light was shining on it, and you had it kind of pulled back, I don't think I would have been able to say with certainty, had I not known you, whether or not that was your hair if you were wearing a hat. <laughs> and uh, I also, there, there's no way I would have been able to tell your eye color, I think, even if you didn't have transitional lenses. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're both we're both so getting... This, what do you make of that statement, that they couldn't tell the eye color but they know it wasn't blue i don't know i find i find that very odd 
But then again, I also think if you're in a situation where you're just trying to fill in things, then, you know, you might make mistakes. You know, that's the problem with it, right? You're, try- you're trying your best, but... Um, and I don't know how that applies to Alan because I, I, I know it sounds stupid when we say we can't really tell his eye color, but it's really I maybe maybe other people are better at that than than I am. I, I, I was staring at multiple pictures of his eyes. His eyes look very pale. They, some pictures seem to almost have a bluish tint. Others seem to more be in the hazel family. I don't understand it. It's just hard to say. And we've seen him in person at trial, but we weren't necessarily like getting a good view of like, oh, what's your eye color? Right. So the making a statement about blue eyes, perhaps to me, that could read if I'm being if I'm being generous and I don't see any reason not to be at this point. I could see it being like, I noticed the eyes. The eyes appeared dark. They did not appear light. They did not appear to be cool in color. They seemed warmer in terms of the color of the irises. So maybe that makes a person conclude they're not blue because there's lack of coolness. There's lack of uh, there's, you know, they're light without being cool. Blue is like the cool color. Not I'm not saying cool as in like, oh, that's neat. I'm saying cool, like uh, cool tones versus warm tones. So. Maybe you see the eyes look a bit darker and you just assume, well, that can't be blue. Could be could be dark green, could be dark brown, but, you know, or or even hazel, but it couldn't be blue. So I, I tried looking up and there's a lot of speculation about the color of Alan's eyes. Maybe people who are more uh, who, are, who are better at identifying things like that can tell us what they think his eye color is. But it certainly is an odd thing. And I think the eyes would probably be the hardest thing to find when you are dealing with a, a, a person in a vehicle. The, an important caveat here, though, I don't think we know for sure at this point how many sources this sketch came from. Certainly the press reports at the time seemed to indicate a single source. This person came forward recently with this information. This sketch was the result of some sort of interaction between the witness and the artist. Right. But uh, we know uh, police can be uh, misleading in how they present things to the public at times. So that doesn't rule out the possibility of a second source for the sketch. And there's also been so much confusion about this over time that it's kind of like I'm reluctant to say definitely one person. But we also know eyewitnesses. I mean, anybody who follows crimes, I think, has this understanding. Eyewitnesses are notoriously unreliable and that's not because people are untrustworthy or they're doing something bad it's just because our memories are very fragile things and it it, it's difficult to not everybody is super observant i'm not super observant i've always thought i'd be a terrible witness because i i just i i'm not good at identifying makes and models of cars or, or locking on to the appropriate things at the time and, you know, if you have somebody who makes a mistake or they're pretty sure, like, oh, couldn't have been blue, but maybe they're wrong. I mean, it's just there's so much up in the air with an eyewitness when you don't have it corroborated by something like a video. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Another thing I also want to highlight is in the episode, we discussed how initially the police seemed pretty clear. These are two different people. There were even some uh, unofficial indications that the person in the first sketch had been cleared Later, that message changes, and uh, the possibility is put out there that they're actually the same person, maybe seen from people with two different perspectives. That's that's confusing, and there is a temptation to view that as mixed messaging. But I think it's important to note that an investigation like this, by necessity, is very fluid. A good investigator never comes to a conclusion, locks onto it, and stays with that conclusion forever, no matter what the evidence is. A good investigator figures out what's most likely to be true, and if he gets different information, he reassesses. So I think there's a certainly a strong possibility that behind the scenes, maybe at one point they thought, well, these are different people. And then later on, that became a little bit more ambiguous. And yeah. so that that would explain a lot of that in my mind. I think that's well said. I mean, we came down pretty hard on ISP and other agencies involved with this when we first reported on the sketches. And frankly, I stand by that because a lot of this messaging is very confusing for the public. And it's very much like, what are we supposed to do with this? You know, I mean, like, put put papers in front of you. Like, come on. But at the same time... I think you're absolutely right. I think that if there's a situation where, well, we thought X, but now Y, then you have to pivot and you just have to, I mean, it's maybe not ideal, but what else are you going to do at that point? And I can envision, and this is, I'm speaking purely at this time out of my own imagination, conjecturing different scenarios. This is, I do not know this. I do not know why any of this happened. We try to very much bring you new information about this case that we get, but we're not going to jump to conclusions or try to make that fit into some theory. We're just going to put it out there and try to like incrementally build up more facts about the investigation. So I'm labeling this strongly as conjecture, but what if you have a situation where this happens around 4 PM? Maybe 
somebody is searching in the woods and they're, you know, they're talking, the investigators are talking to the searchers. Well, we're trying to figure out what this witness sighting was all about. Could any of you who maybe fit this type description vaguely, could any of you have been kind of muddy from searching and stumbled out onto that road at that time? And maybe you have people being like, I don't think I did, but like maybe, and you're just trying to be helpful. And like, it was a blur. It was a kind of a traumatic day for everybody. So maybe you're just trying to think, yeah, maybe I got that far out or maybe I was closer to the road than I thought. Um, I don't know. And then it turns so they're like, okay, well, it must have been that guy. And, you know, we know he didn't do it. And then it pivots to, oh, wait, maybe we were trying to make that fit too much and maybe that doesn't make sense and maybe now we need to revisit it. So I, I could see so I could see a scenario like that happen. You have people who are like trying to help and you have like witnesses and searchers and all these different people who are doing their best to try to help. And maybe at some point you lock onto one theory to explain things and then it just ends up kind of falling apart. It doesn't quite make sense and you need to go back to the drawing board. Conjecture, conjecture, conjecture. That's not based on anything I know that happened. I have no idea what happened. It's very confusing. But I'm just trying to think of scenarios before we get into the kind of like, oh, everything's, you know, nefarious. I think we can we can think about things in a way like what makes sense as far as people who are trying to piece this together, maybe making a mistake. I agree. That's that's some very interesting speculation. I think we all want more answers about all of this. And I think it's possible, it's at least possible, that we'll get some answers, whether about this or about other things, in the bond hearing that's coming up on February 17th. This hearing is very likely that an investigator will offer some testimony about some of the evidence they've uncovered, which in their mind links Richard Allen to the crime. And so it's possible that uh, some of the information about the muddy and bloody witness and what they said they saw might be uh, discussed at that hearing. Indeed. And I'll add to this, things that for me maybe are problematic about this witness sighting, uh, the amount of time it took for the person to come forward, that's always going to be give me pause. Sergeant Riley's comments about people being scared are understandable, but I think you still have to react somewhat um maybe skeptically is the wrong word but you have to look at that and scrutinize what was the reason for the delay in the heinous murders of two girls that were highly publicized both locally and nationally at the time what would prompt someone to wait so long and in addition to that the the moving vehicle uh wrinkle also adds a level of of problems uh, also adds problems to this to me because it just makes it you're really you're not dealing with somebody who's walking upon someone. You're dealing with somebody who's in a moving vehicle and is going past someone, you know, possibly relatively quickly. Now, things that bolstered this sighting, in my view, well, the fact that we know that the um, the fact that police feel that the witness drove past the scene around 4 p.m. that they feel that they've identified her car, her vehicle with the Hoosier Harvest Store footage, that's interesting. I'll note that, you know, there is some debate about how clear that footage is. So, um, you know, but at the very least, like there's something to possibly corroborate her being there. In addition to that, I would say that 
this sighting does link to the information that we uncovered through the search warrant for um, Ron Logan's property, which is that very, it's a very bloody crime scene. So this is what you would expect the perpetrator of this horrible crime to possibly look like in the immediate aftermath. But it also raises questions because our understanding is that the crimes occurred earlier in the afternoon, uh, or that at least that's what's believed at this point that Abby and Libby were abducted a bit after 2 PM. And so the fact that this person's still lingering around 4 PM makes, you know, if, if this, if this is an accurate witness sighting and, and it's going to be a big part of the case, definitely makes you question what was going on that whole time. But as we say, like, you know, we try to, we, we try to get you guys new information and put out scoops and put out news that we feel is relevant that won't be harmful to the case. And this is, this is an example of that, but it's really something that raises more questions than it answers. And that's been very much part and parcel for this case the whole time. So we're not going to really make any logical leaps on it. We're just going to put it out there and hopefully it will bolster our understanding eventually. Thanks for listening. Thanks very much for listening. And of course, if you have any connection to Richard Allen or anything going on in this case at this time, please feel free to give us an email. Shoot us an email at e- at murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to The Murder Sheet. If you have a tip concerning one of the cases we cover, please email us at murdersheet at gmail.com. If you have actionable information about an unsolved crime, please report it to the appropriate authorities. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, that's available at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. If you want to tip us a bit of money for records requests, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. We very much appreciate any support. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for the murder sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. If you're looking to talk with other listeners about a case we've covered, you can join the Murder Sheet Discussion Group on Facebook. We mostly focus our time on research and reporting, so we're not on social media much. We do try to check our email account, but we ask for patience as we often receive a lot of messages. Thanks again for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.